0: Do I have any barbecue fans in the house today? Anybody fan of barbecue? You know, when I see a piece of meat like this with a red smoke line, I mean, it's just, ah, makes me hungry for lunch. But, but in my opinion, the best barbecue you can find in this state is located in Phoenix at this spot. It's called Little Miss Barbecue. And if you were to go to the original location tomorrow... Uh, even if you got there early, you'd wait over an hour in line to get your barbecue. That's what happened to me the first time. It opened at 11. I figured I'd be good get there at 10.45. The line was already started, and it wasn't until 11.45 that I got my meal. But once I bit in, I just closed my eyes. And I savored that moment. I sang a little bit of, you know, Jesus paid it all, and it was a, <laughs> it was a spiritual moment. And so after a couple more visits, I invited my friend Colin to come with me, and we had, a, we had a Saturday, we had some busy schedules, it was about three weeks out, and so for three weeks I just kept telling him how good this place was, and I, I was kind of hyping it up, I was kind of building it up, and so finally the day came, I got there at 10.30 instead of 10.45, still wasn't the front of the line, and Colin joined me late, and he said, man, this is crazy, and so we're waiting, it's Phoenix in the summer, so we're sweating, and he's like Scott this is stupid why are we doing this i said no college it's going to be really good so if i'm going to get to the front and the guy at the counter recognizes me which is probably a problem <laughs> and he goes, I re- he goes, As he knew i said yes and so he pulls off some fatty brisket and he cuts a piece and hands it to Colin and puts it in his mouth and Colin closes his eyes cuz you know you want to focus all your senses on the one you're using right now and he had a great great experience and so we ordered our food sat down had a great meal We finished, including our jalapeno cheese grits, which I can't have anymore because I can't have dairy, so I'm just going to take a minute and think about that for a second. (laughs) And then we finished eating, and and there was a line still passing us, and Colin said, you know, Scott, I I, I really didn't want to come today because you'd hyped it up so much that I just knew I was going to be disappointed. And I said, and? He goes, you didn't hype it enough. (laughs) And I go, well, that's good. And some of you... That may be your experience with Easter Sunday. Sometimes Easter can feel a little bit like hype. Pastors like me say things like, this changes everything. I literally once preached an Easter message called, this changes everything. That's, that's kind of a big statement. Or, or we sing songs like, the greatest day in history. Well, there's been a lot of days in history. That's a pretty big statement. I think sometimes we wrestle with, is there a lot? of hype, or is this real? And there's some of you in the room today, and I don't know if you came for a friend, or you came because somebody promised you brunch, but you may be a little bit skeptical. You may be a little bit cynical. You may have your doubts about all of this. And I just want you to know it's okay. We're so glad that you're here. As a recovering cynic, man, we're, we're in the same lane. And I wanted to tell you, if you're wrestling with faith, and you're trying to figure it out, maybe even if you're antagonistic and you're trying to disprove it, don't go after the creation story. Don't go after the flood with Noah. Don't ask the question that that Tony did, you know, why does God allow suffering? Don't even go after the virgin birth. If you want to go after Christianity, go after the resurrection. Go after it. If you're going to pick on something... Pick on the resurrection. I love what N.T. Wright, one of the leading theologians on the New Testament, says. He says, Easter is our greatest festival. Take Christmas away, and in biblical terms, you lose two chapters at the front of the books of Matthew and Luke, nothing else. But if you take Easter away, and you don't have a New Testament, you don't even have a Christianity, as Paul says, you are still in your sins. He says, hey, take resurrection away, and, and, and it's game over. He's echoing the words of the Apostle Paul who just a couple decades after the resurrection of Jesus wrote these words. He said, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. He says we're found to be misrepresenting God because he testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise. If it's true, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. This is why for centuries many have said, as goes the resurrection, so goes Christianity. If you want to summarize what Christianity is about, it's today. Because if you take this away, I'm selling you a bunch of lies you're participating in the, the giant farce that has taken billions and billions of people. It's a bigger hoax than anything you've ever shared on Facebook. As goes the resurrection, so goes Christianity. And these people who got baptized today, if there's no resurrection, they just went through a giant exercise in futility. But if you listen to them and their stories... What you heard wasn't just them testifying to something that's a belief in the resurrection of Jesus 2,000 years ago. No, when you listen to their stories today in this water and you watched them on video, they weren't just telling you about what happened to Jesus. They were telling you about what happened to them. And they were telling you that, that their baptism wasn't just a celebration of a past event. It was a testimony to a present reality in their life. The people who who sat next to you today and sang loudly, hopefully they sang on pitch, they weren't singing loudly because of something that happened to Jesus. They were singing loudly because of something that happened to them. As the Apostle Paul says about baptism, he says, this means that anyone who belongs to Jesus Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. These people who are celebrating baptism, they're not just saying, hey, I believe Jesus is alive. They're saying, I'm alive, and I'm living a brand new life. My old life is gone, and I'm beginning a new life today. A few weeks ago, I stumbled on a painting. I'm not a big art guy. I don't spend my time in galleries staring at paintings. But I stumbled on a painting that just grabbed and arrested my attention. It's called The Disciples Running to the Tomb on Easter Morning, or The Disciples for short. It's painted by a man named Eugene Bernand, who was a Swiss painter at the very end of the 1800s. This painting was painted in 1898, and it's a painting of John and Peter running to the tomb. And, and to me, it's just pregnant with emotion and expectation. If you zoom in a little bit on the painting, what you see is that you see John's hands are clasped, hoping that it's true. Peter's got his hand over his heart, hoping that it's true. John's kind of glaring in, but Peter and his caterpillar eyebrows, he definitely needs a waxing, (laughs) are wide open, and their hair is flying in the wind, and they're running to the tomb to see if it's true. And that, my friends, is the question I want to pose to you today. What if the resurrection is true? What if the resurrection is true? Because I don't suppose that all of you in here or all of you watching online believe that the resurrection is true. But I want to spend a few minutes today examining the consequences of if it is And put some pieces together, like a puzzle. If you got a bulletin and you walked in, there's a little note sheet you can take some notes on to chew on later. And and I want to share with you what I call three pieces of the Easter puzzle. And the first one is this, that the disciples decided the resurrection was true. The disciples decided the resurrection was true. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, you need to know that nobody saw the resurrection coming. This wasn't like the Avengers movie coming out next weekend where you all know what's going to happen, or some things that are involved, because you watch the trailer. This is not like Star Wars, which trailer came out last week, and you kind of got a sense of, oh, maybe Rey is this kind of Skywalker you don't know, you know, like, nothing like that. They had no idea it was coming. In fact, the only people who went to the tomb on this morning, 2,000 years ago, were women with embalming spices to prepare the body for permanent burial, which had been cut short by the Sabbath. And they show up, and they find an empty tomb. And they run back to the disciples, 11, since Judas took his own life, and yet only two, these two who are in this painting, run to the tomb. The other nine don't even believe it, and so they stay home. Nobody saw this coming. And, and for these men to run to the tomb, you need to know, was, was unbecoming. In our culture, you run when you want to get in shape, but in this culture, no man would run. It was dishonoring. And so when they're running to the tomb, they're dishonoring themselves and they're uneasy because they're like, is this possible? Is this true? Later on in the day, if you read the book of John chapter 20, you read about two men who were walking back to the city of Emmaus about a day's walk from Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified and buried. And they encounter this man on the road and start talking to him about the experiences of this week, Jesus coming into the city, being crucified, being buried. And it takes them all the way to Emmaus And eating dinner to figure out it's Jesus because they didn't even have it in their paradigm that he was alive, much less walking with them. The night that he was resurrected, the disciples are in an upper room and the door is locked because they're afraid of the Jews and the Romans. And then Jesus comes through the door and they're terrified. Eventually, after all of these experiences, the disciples finally become convinced that he is alive. And it fills them with a defiant hope. You see, true resurrection hope doesn't deny reality. True resurrection hope defies reality. And they had to reckon with the fact that it was possible for someone to come back from the dead because Jesus was standing in front of them and they stuck their hands in the holes in his hand and they stuck their hand in the hole in his side and they touched him and they ate with him. And they had to reckon with the fact that he was alive. And it fills them, these uneducated men and women, with such hope that they decide to take on the Roman Empire, the most powerful empire on earth, the empire that decided that their sect called the Way, followers of Jesus, was illegal. And so they start saying that Jesus is alive and that he is Lord and not Caesar. And the Caesars don't like it. And so what happens over time, again and again, is they're pressed and arrested. And confronted and told, deny that the resurrection is real and we'll let you live. But if you don't, and they said, bring it on. And so they were beaten, they were flogged, they were fed to the lions in the Colosseum. They were burned as human torches dipped in oil to light the Caesar's party. And in every place in the empire, when plague hit a city, the citizens would flee, and the disciples and the followers of Jesus would run in. And in just two centuries, this faith went from 120 people, most of whom were uneducated, to becoming the dominant faith in the most powerful empire on earth. The disciples decided it was true, and because they did, we're here today. The second piece of the puzzle that the evidence affirms that the resurrection is true. The evidence. There is evidence that gives us reason to stand confidently on our faith in the resurrection. Believing the resurrection isn't about blind faith. There is real evidence. A few years ago, I got the opportunity to host an event with this guy, Lee Strobel. Lee was a legal journalist for years at the Chicago Tribune, and one day his wife came home and enraged him by telling him that she had become a follower of Jesus And so Lee set out to disprove Christianity by studying it for two years as he would a case for trial. And what he found was that the evidence was true. His story was recorded in the book The Case for Christ, which has been turned into a movie that you can watch on Netflix when you go home today. And Lee told me recently about the the work of a man named Gary Habermas, who's an expert on the science and history around the resurrection. And he said there's four E's when it comes to the evidence regarding the resurrection. First E is execution. Because for somebody to come back from the dead, they got to die first. And it's universally accepted that Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate in the first century in Jerusalem. There was a period where some people believed that maybe he fainted or he swooned, but that's universally been disproven. Even the Journal of the American Medical Association, the leading journal of doctors in America, has done their own study, and they've confirmed Jesus actually died. These Roman soldiers, they were professional killers, and so they killed Jesus on that tree. The second piece of the evidence, the second E, is early. There are early accounts, testimonies regarding the resurrection of Jesus, And in antiquity, it would often take one or two generations for a legend to form because those who were there had to die so that they could not show up and counteract the legend. Well, we have accounts of the resurrection of Jesus that date within three to five years of the resurrection of Jesus, which in antiquity is virtually the same day. I know for us, three to five years feels like forever, because we live with our smartphones and 24-7 news, but in that day, three to five years is virtually instantaneous. The third E is empty. We have the empty tomb. And if you were to go to Jerusalem today, there's dispute over which one it is, either the tomb over which the Church of the Holy Sepulcher is built, or the garden tomb, but both of them are empty. And there's universal acceptance, even by the Romans and the Jews, that the tomb was empty. And so you have to reckon with, well, why is it empty? But no one disputes the fact that it is empty. And then number four, there's the eyewitnesses. We have seven accounts within the scriptures and two accounts outside of the scriptures, nine ancient sources along with 500 people who affirm that Jesus did rise from the dead. And then we have what they did. Those people who watched him and touched him and ate with him and saw him, they then faced death and refused to deny that it was real. And that's where this guy comes in Charles Colson. In the 1970s in Washington, D.C., Charles Colson was about the baddest dude around. It was said that Colson would step over his mom or his grandmother to get what he wanted. He was the kind of person who broke all the laws and didn't care about morality and ethics, which is why President Nixon hired him as his hatchet man in the White House in the early 70s. It's the reason why Charles Colson was at the center of the Watergate scandal, and it's the reason why Charles Colson went to prison for the felonies he committed. And while Colson was in prison, he had a life-changing encounter with Jesus, not that different from the people you've heard from today. And here's what he said about the resurrection. He said, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they'd seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, and stoned and put into prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate, however, embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. And I think of that quote when I look at this picture. And I think to myself, what if the resurrection is true? What if it really happened? And that's the third piece of the puzzle. You have to decide if it's true. I can tell you what Colson says, I can tell you what the evidence says, I can tell you what I believe, but at the end of the day, you have to decide if it's true. We've called today Easter for Prescott because we believe that the resurrection is for you. That in that opening video where you saw the names that it was your name that he thought of when he rose from the dead. It was your name that led him to the cross. And it was on his mind when he came out of that empty tomb. And it's you, not me, that has to decide if the resurrection is true for your life and for your situation. Because we believe that the resurrection isn't just something that happened to Jesus one day in the past. It speaks to the places we live in the present. You see, if the resurrection is true, then the places where, like Tony, Manzo, you're experiencing heartache and pain and loss, that can be healing and hope and hope and forgiveness, and change. If you're feeling lost and without direction today, then you can find hope and purpose and direction. If you're struggling, like our friend Jerry, to overcome an addiction, then your past doesn't have to be your future, and you can find the freedom you've been looking for. And if you're having to face the reality of grief and suffering and loss today, then the resurrection says, this is not the end of the story. There is hope and a future. As we said earlier, this means that anyone who belongs to Jesus Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone and the new life has begun. So the question I have for you today is, what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with him? Are you going to put your faith and trust in Jesus Or are you just going to leave this to tackle another day? For my cynics who I talked to earlier, some of you may go, Scott, you haven't told me anything this morning that I haven't heard before. You haven't told me anything new. Well, here's what you need to know. Easter isn't about hearing something new. It's an invitation to believe something true. And we live in a world that's addicted to novelty and new when this day is about something true. And it's not about me teaching you something new. It's about you believing that this is true and then ruthlessly and relentlessly applying it to every area of your life. Because if this is true, it's not hype to say that this changes everything. That person you're sitting next to is somebody who's capable of becoming an entirely new creation. That thing you thought about last night when you laid your head on the pillow, that regret you have about the past, that could be transformed. The worst moment in your past The one you hope that no one ever discovers and the one you want to forget. That can be changed. That can be transformed. The relationship that you're not sure can ever be mended. If Jesus can conquer death, surely that can be made whole. Easter isn't about something new. It's about whether you're going to believe that something is true. And you have to decide if it's true, what are you going to do with this Jesus? And like these disciples, you've got to experience it for yourself. I can't just tell you about it. You have to step into it. Would you join me in prayer? God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to examine what happened. And we thank you for the opportunity you give us to respond. We thank you that you don't just invite us to blindly trust you. We thank you that you've allowed us to see the evidence. But no amount of evidence, Jesus, can make the the choice, the response, any easier. This morning, Jesus, I believe that you are inviting us not just to believe that you really did rise from the dead. You're inviting us to surrender to you. If you predicted your death and you're worthy of conquering the grave then we can trust what you say about anything and you tell us that if we seek to keep our life we'll lose it but if we surrender our life to you we'll find it and God I believe there are some people here this morning that have been on a journey asking questions and seeking you I believe that you've been speaking and moving in their hearts today. And I believe that today is a day that they could decide the resurrection is true for them and experience the hope and change that we heard about this morning in the waters of baptism. And so if that's you this morning, if you believe that this is true and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you've never put your faith and trust in his resurrection and you've never experienced resurrection in your life but you want that hope that newness that change today then I would love to give you that opportunity and I'd love to know who you are so I can pray with you if that's you today would you raise your hand right now say I'm ready to experience resurrection for the first time I'm ready to trust and surrender my life to Jesus if that's you raise your hand not for long just so I can see If that's you, I'm just going to pray a short prayer. I'd invite you to pray along with me. Jesus, I believe that you came back from the dead. And I want to trust you. I believe that you gave your life for me. And I'm ready to be done with this old life. Jesus, I surrender myself to you. And I receive the new life that you want to give me. Bring resurrection in my life. Make me a new creation. I want your living hope. Thank you for dying on the cross and for conquering the grave for me. Amen. If that's you and you still have that card we mentioned earlier, I would love for you to fill that card out and bring it to the Welcome Center in the lobby. I'd love for you to come meet me in the lobby and share with me the decision that you made. And I'd encourage you, if you're not ready to make that decision, examine the evidence. Decide for yourself if it's true and what that means for you. We're going to sing a final song together. Would you stand with us this morning?